welcome to How Fitting, the podcast about creating fashion and growing a business that fits your customer, your lifestyle, and your values. I'm your host, Allison Haynes. Today, I'm joined by Lizzie Gordon of BXM. So welcome to the show, Lizzie. Hello. For those listening who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure, of course. Um, so my name is Lizzie um, and I run the sustainable Fuller Bus Sports Bra brand BXM. Um, we launched in May 2022, um, but it's been an idea that I've been sitting on for quite a long time. Um, and the whole kind of aim of the business is to help floor busted people feel seen and heard and um, enable them to let go of their inhibitions um, and basically move their bodies however and wherever they want with our sustainable and ethical sports bras. I love it and that's so cool it's definitely a niche that uh, is underserved so um, it's really cool to see that like you specialize in that specifically. So um, backing up like what what is your background? Like, how did you get into fashion or how did you get into running a fashion brand? Um, so before I started BXM, I had zero fashion experience. So my mm-hmm. previous careers were mainly in marketing and kind of finally ending up in market research. But I used to do market research for banks and other financial service is kind of um organizations so nothing to do with fashion or running a business um <laughs> and I basically had to kind of learn on the job I suppose um so like I said I had the idea for the brand a long long time ago probably maybe about 10 or 12 years ago um you know I myself have got a bigger bus size um and I was getting very sick of never really being able to see um any more kind of sustainable or ethical options for bigger boobs it kind of felt like we were very much being ignored um mm-hmm. so I had the idea a long long time ago and kind of told myself that someone else would do it another brand would do it a bigger brand would do it what did I know about starting a biz- a fashion business having zero experience um and then in September 2020 I think it might have been 2021 I can't remember um I basically went on a kind of online short course. Um, so the London College of Fashion, that is a fashion school in the UK, during mm-hmm. COVID started doing all of these short online courses that were kind of five or six evenings over um, a number of weeks. And so I did one of those that was technically on lingerie design, um, but actually it ended up being a bit more of like how to start your own lingerie brand. So um, how to start sourcing fabrics, what the manufacturing process looked like, how to think about the shapes you wanted to use in your clothing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that really acts as a bit of a springboard for me to kind of get on and start launching the business and thinking about the business and made me really think that I could actually do it having come from somewhere where I had zero experience I kind of basically told myself that I would have leave it to the experts to do and um, so yeah that's kind of the background really yeah yeah so what what was it that like in your kind of that mindset uh, which I think is so relatable of you know if you don't have the experience it's like oh somebody else bigger is gonna do that um 
like what kind of, uh, where did that mindset come from maybe? Like, was there something that like other people had told you or that you had, like, did it just seem too intimidating? And then if that was what you were thinking, then what made you then go to, the, you know, this fashion course and still learn about it when you felt like it it wasn't your job to do in a sense? Um, I, I'm naturally a bit of a fixer in the sense of the the um the phrase stuff it I'll do it myself runs very <laughs> true for me in general um and so I think that I had kind of seen all of these very lovely um sustainable activewear brands come out and then look at the bras they were making that were kind of basically crop tops which are fine if you have a very small chest size but if you have anything over a, a d you really should be wearing a proper a properly sized sports bra um mm-hmm. and so I kind of waited and waited and told myself that eventually something would have to change and so I bit I think there was a bit of that kind of stuff that I'll do it myself mentality that came in when I thought about launching the brand and launching the business and I kind of feel it was a little bit more like the stars aligned in the sense that I was getting a bit restless um, due to kind of COVID and lockdown and everything else. I mean, I mm-hmm. wasn't um, furloughed or anything like that, but um, I, so work was busy, but I think I kind of needed a bit of a creative outlet. And so I saw that they were doing this course and was kind of like, huh, it'll be interesting to go on just to see, um, you know, if I want to do something about it, just to learn a bit more about it. Um, I've always been very interested in, I think, Anyone that has bigger boobs, I would say, has more of an interest in boobs and bras and underwear and anything to do with that. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think that I just kind of did it out of morbid curiosity, I suppose. And then I was then a bit like, oh, I could potentially do it. Maybe I'll just do a little bit more and see what happens. And then it kind of snowballed from there. I love that. (laughs) The curiosity and it sounds like you're very kind of like tenacious too of I'm going to go, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to make it happen. And that kind of led one thing to another. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of feel like the mentality of like, what's the worst that could happen very much rang true, especially in the beginning when I wasn't necessarily, um, you know, I wasn't necessarily putting a lot of, there wasn't a lot of risk in the sense that I was still working full time. Um, Mm -hmm. I still had a job to fall back on. I was kind of doing this in my evenings and weekends. And the financial outlay at that point was really quite minimal because a lot of it was me more kind of starting to do a bit of competitor research, um, you know, maybe potentially buying a couple of other sports bras from different brands to see if there were things that I liked, things that I disliked, etc. And so at that point, right at the very beginning, the kind of financial outlay and the financial risk was really quite minimal and so I think that in a way was quite helpful that I didn't kind of go jump straight into it with both feet and quit my job and start doing it straight away you know there was a bit more of a a gradual lean into working on the business full-time now. Mm -hmm. So you are full-time with the business now? I work full-time on the business now yeah. Oh wow well congratulations I know it can be like a really scary step to get to the point and then like take that step to like quit the job you know Um, yeah I I think um anyone that starts a fashion brand will know that probably 90% of your life at the beginning is chasing is chasing mm -hmm. people and staying on top of people and staying on top of suppliers and manufacturers and all that sort of stuff and then the rest is learning and 
I just found working part time, especially because I worked a nine to five. And so um, it wasn't like I, I kind of would have a different day off every week. I kind of always took a Friday off as my day off when I was working part time. And it kind of meant that not a huge amount got done because um, lots of people didn't work a Friday or it was kind of the end of the week. And so no one was really going to want to answer my calls, etc. And so I kind of eventually decided that if I wanted to make it kind of into a reality and kind of push it forwards, I really needed to work on it full time um, to be able to kind of be available and around to get things going because they were moving at a very slow pace otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So I'm curious when um, you were, you're in this fashion course, you're kind of considering and learning more like and realizing like, hey, this is something I'm, I, I can do, like it's not unattainable. Um, what were maybe some assumptions you had about a fashion fashion industry or running a fashion business that you had going into it? And then um, since running the brand, has has your view of any of those things changed? Yeah, I mean, so I feel like two big assumptions for me. Um, one was um, to do with cost you know, how much mm-hmm. it actually costs to make something, especially mm-hmm. if you're making it in a sustainable and ethical way. Um, you know, our bras are made in the UK at the moment, which is obviously costly um, just because, you know, it's it's more expensive to do with them, um, like wages and other additional costs and import taxes and everything else. Um, and I think that I assumed that, it would be relatively cheap and mm. also that um, they would be relatively easy to find um, suppliers for you know the fabrics and trims etc and also the manufacturers themselves and I was very wrong on all of that um, mm. you know I think that the real cost of how much it it takes to make something is something that I feel like we don't talk about enough um in terms of both the like physical cost of the kind of physical pieces in terms of the fabric and all that sort of stuff but also the cost of somebody's time um mm-hmm. you know there is a reason why things that are made in a more sustainable and ethical way are more expensive so I think that was the first thing I think the second thing was sourcing like being able to source a lot of this stuff I thought it would be very easy and actually it requires hours and hours and hours of googling of things and trying to understand all the various yeah. different jargon and act acronyms and everything else um but at the same time you know if you are persistent and I think that um, I was very lucky in the sense that I worked with a woman who had a kind of great little black book of contacts when it came to manufacturers and suppliers. Um, and so she was really like instrumental basically in getting it over the line in terms of the production. Yeah. And I think those are those are both like very common things that like, especially when you're starting out, but then even as an established brand, sourcing is all like always takes time it's more more time more difficult than you think it it will be and yeah the cost that's a huge thing that I often talk about with um, brands and actually speak about too to different groups and, and classes is how to go how to cost your products so that like you can have a sustainable business in terms of like that that's paying your people 
you know, fair wages, but then also making sure that like you as the business owner, you as like running the business can keep going because it takes a lot of investment in production and in, you know, sourcing different fabrics ahead of the sales. And then if you don't cost and price things appropriately, then there's no money at the end of the day for to cover the, like the business overhead. Yeah, 100%. And I think like another huge learning for me was the additional difficulty of creating something that is quite a technical piece. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember right at the start of um, creating my business, I had contacted one of the tutors that was helping me, was was kind of running the um, short course at, at the London College of Fashion and said to, said to him, I'm thinking of creating a sustainable sports bra brand for bigger busts. And his response to me was, that is a very steep mountain to climb. Mm. It's, it's almost like, I want to create this, I want to create a new sports bra, that's great. But I also want I want to make sure that it's um specifically catering to bigger boss, huh, more difficult. And I also want to make sure that it is sustainable and ethical, huh? Even more difficult <laughs> uh, is basically what happened. So I think that um, you know, within that, the additional knowledge that you either need your manufacturer to have or you need to have yourself in terms of um creating a more technical piece like a sports bra especially one for bigger boobs um is definitely more than what you would need if you were going to be creating t-shirts or something like that that is a more simple piece mm-hmm. definitely I think though it can from you know a development side and as a pattern maker like when you're really specialized with a fit like that like okay mm-hmm. you're you know regardless of kind of the size of your bras like they're all for larger cup sizes so at least you can design with that in mind like I feel like it's much harder to be like oh I want to fit some somebody who's a 32a you know versus like a 36h you know are that's completely different like pattern or like approach to problem solving um in product development oh 100 mm-hmm. um you know I mean I think that one thing that I was very keen on having um was making sure that our bras were fit, fit for purpose across the entire range so at the moment we cater for a 32e to a 38h and um, so there are 24 sizes I think in total um, mm-hmm. and so it was really important for me when it got to the grading and the kind of final testing of the bras that um, I got I tested them across our size range to make sure that they were kind of working for every size and any tweaks needed to be made um, you know because in a lot of ways a the kind of biomechanics, I suppose, of a 32E breast versus a 38H breast are quite different. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that was a big thing for me. And I think it's something that is very important, especially when you are catering for a niche that you're able to cater across the niche as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So what were some of the ways, like you mentioned, like you tried tried them on and tested them across the size range. Was there different kind of like market research or competitor research um, that you did kind of before starting and developing the brand and, and even like during development of your, your two bra styles? Um, 
what kind of things did you do to make sure that that fit was really spot on and that you were like making the best product for this market? So um, I did quite an extensive amount of competitive research. And as I kind of said, I, any bras that any brands that did a bra in my size um, mm-hmm. I would buy them whether they were sustainable or not just to look at all the features and kind of almost do a bit of testing myself where I would you know go on a run with them on or go to the gym with them on and kind of see where there was any discomfort or anything that I really liked or how easy they were to get on and off etc because mm-hmm. um, it was really helpful to then kind of start to weed out the things that I wanted and the things that I didn't I think it also really helped that in a lot of ways I was creating a product for me um, and so I was the first fit model for the first two to three samples before we got them graded so it meant that I was very intimately involved right the way throughout the process um, which meant that I was able to put the bras really through their paces to begin with and start to really think about any additional features that we wanted and things that we didn't want um, and I also thought about some of the things that I really didn't like about my kind of sports bras from the past as well so in terms of things like um the our bra none, our, none of our bras have got hooks and eyes in them so rather than having a hook and eye there is a kind of magnetic snap fastening um which is for one of two reasons one is that it means you've only got one fastening you've got to do up versus two or three or sometimes even four or five sets of hook and eyes on a bigger bus sport bus, bigger bus sports bra mm-hmm. um, and the other thing is that they won't get all mangled I mean I was I will often have to detach my sports bras with hook and eyes from my leggings or from each other yeah. in the washing with them and um, yep. or you know after time you'll have to try and like bend them back into place and stuff like that where there's where there's none of that with our fastenings and so it was a kind of mixture of taking things that I really liked from other competitor brands but also trying to do a bit of problem solving of some of the common issues that um of women with bigger boobs face when it comes to their sports bras um I also did quite a bit of um kind of consumer research so um kind of doing some surveys and doing some interviews and stuff like that to start to really understand what the pain points were when it came to sports bras so things like um coverage making the sport the neck of the sports bra slightly higher so that women felt that they could exercise in just that and not kind of feel like they basically had cleavage because a Mm -hmm. lot of them you know breasts or boobs are such a highly sexualized piece of anatomy in a way and so if uh, you have bigger boobs and you're kind of going to the gym but your sports bra is quite low cut you can sometimes feel uncomfortable with that because you almost feel like it's creating cleavage and kind of drawing attention to your chest when you're really just there to do exercise or um, kind of you know move your body in some way or another um, and so that was a big thing and also it adds additional support having a slightly higher neckline mm-hmm. just things like that that were kind of tweaks that we could make that were relatively minimal but would have a massive impact in terms of the kind of overall experience of wearing the bras um so we did that and then I did quite extensive testing for the initial fit sessions and then we then did more testing so I think we ended up doing about five or six rounds of testing in total with the bras um to make sure that they were exactly right both on the fit the sizing um, the kind of general experience of wearing them in total um, And I think the other thing was that I wanted to create two designs. You know, we have our kind of high impact 
um, design that's called Unlimited. And then we have our medium impact design as well that's called Fearless. And the idea for that is that I personally really struggled with finding a bra that I could wear for things like yoga or Pilates or stretching or something like that, that I didn't necessarily need to have everything strapped down quite so tightly but I wanted mm-hmm. to wear something that still was a kind of breathable sweat wicking fabric that wasn't just a regular kind of everyday bra um, and so I kind of created our medium impact bra to kind of bridge the gap with that so you could wear it every day if you didn't want to wear a wire bra but you could also wear it for more of those um, kind of lower impact exercises as well. Nice and I love how you really approached this you know problem solving and like talking to people and from your own experience which is super helpful of okay what what are the what are the pain points you know what are the what do we dislike or like about current things and that can be like a super helpful way to you know especially when you don't have a technical background in in fashion to communicate those details like to your manufacturer to the pattern maker um is to say, okay, I like the, you know, the neckline of this one. And then the the strap of this one is good, but not the underband or not the hooks and, and being able to kind of put together your own product with kind of the building blocks of other things as a reference. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, the pattern cutter that I used as well was, was, was kind of specialized in, um, bigger busted, products and he had originally worked for a competitor brand in the UK when they were branching out into clothing so it kind of meant that he had more knowledge than the kind of average person when it came to the needs of a bigger cup size versus um, Mm -hmm. just the smaller cup sizes so that was also really helpful and he kind of was able to give a bit of guidance in terms of the um, initial designs but also uh, in terms of the pattern and making sure the pattern was um, really spot on what we're looking for mm-hmm. awesome and that's always super super good when you can find somebody who already ha- you know is thinking the same way that you are about what needs to happen for this product um so what you mentioned some of them when you were talking about the different things you liked and disliked about bra of the bras that you had before but what were some of the what were like the most important must-haves that you're like okay if I'm designing uh you know a sports bra for larger cup sizes it has to be this so I would say there were like three key no four key must-haves for me number one was the underband um you know I feel like so many sports bras are kind of like unnecessarily restrictive when it comes to the underband where it is that because the underband is providing the bedrock of support for your bra I mean it provides 80% of the support that a bra provides Mm -hmm. um but at the same time there are ways that you can do it where it's not really restrictive or it's not kind of rolling over on itself when you're bending over or doing something like that so it's comfortable to wear because I really wanted to create a bra that people didn't have to think about when they were wearing it you know they were obviously wearing a bra but it wasn't something they were constantly having to keep adjusting and um, Mm -hmm. moving around as they were going so that was the first thing the second thing was the sliders on the straps because something that I find extremely irritating when you're wearing any bra whether it's a sports bra or not is that the sliders will kind of slowly loosen themselves throughout the day so instead we have a front fastening um kind of look and 
hook and loop system, which basically means that you, there's kind of a, like a J style hook that you um, hook into one of the loops on the kind of tape at the front of the bra, and then that's you locked in and it won't move around. Um, so it kind of means it gives you customizable, um, yes, exactly. But mm. um, it's all kind of locked in. The, uh, the other thing was coverage. Um, both in terms of the thickness of the fabric to make sure that you're not feeling like it's basically see-through, but also the highness of the neckline to make you feel really comfortable when you're wearing it. Um, and the final thing, which I already spoke about, was the hooks, the mm. kind of hook and eye system or not having that um, because it is uh, a real bugbear of mine that the, often the sports bra will still be okay in terms of its lifespan, but the hooks have gone. And so that's the end of that one when it comes to um, the sports bras. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are all, those are all great things. And I think like, especially, you know, obviously true for larger cup sizes, but even things like the straps loosening with the sliders or like the hook and eye getting caught in your other laundry, like that's yeah. a problem, which is bras in general that. Oh, um, I know, I know. Um, <laughs> You know, I think one of the questions, two, both questions that I get asked most about my brand is one, would we ever make like regular kind of lingerie style bras? And two, would we ever make bras for smaller cup sizes? Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like I created the brand to be um, exclusively inclusive in the sense that we will probably only ever cater for the fuller bust market just because it's something that is very close to my heart. But I appreciate that some of the problems some of the solutions that our bras have are solutions that could really be implemented across the across the board when it comes to bras in general mm -hmm. yeah so true so would you ever do uh more lingerie style for larger cup sizes now I'm curious so I think the answer for the moment is probably no um we may branch out and do um like I'm kind of considering moving into swimwear later down the line or maybe mm. move, um doing something that is uh kind of um a wireless bra that could be worn in, on an everyday basis but is like a low impact option so basically the same sort of support that your regular kind of everyday bra would give you um but I don't think we'd ever go into lingerie I feel like the I think one of the big learnings for me with the business is like really sticking to what we know and kind of sticking to what we're good at and mm -hmm. I feel like there are quite a few um lingerie brands available for bigger cup sizes and there are more and more emerging um, and so I kind of feel like in a way sports bras is what we kind of know when we do and so for the moment we'll kind of be sticking in that sort of area yeah, that makes a whole ton of sense. And from the business side of things like focus, well, and from the product development side of things like focus on a customer market is is really beneficial in so many ways. Yeah, 100%. I think it's, you know, we created the brand or I created the brand to solve a problem. And so I feel like there's still a long way to go on solving that particular problem in terms of um kind of sports bra options that are more ethical and sustainable for the bigger bust market. Mm -hmm. So I do want to talk about the ethical and sustainable piece, but before we do that, um, kind of, you know, talking about the business side of things, um, you also mentioned earlier that like you had no business or no experience running a business. 
-hmm. as well as just no experience in fashion. So what has it been like kind of becoming a business owner and navigating that? Like you've already, you've obviously learned um, so much already and even from a business perspective, you know, focusing on what you do best is, is a really key thing um, on the business side. But yeah, what was it like? like starting a business and what are some of the things that you've learned in that so far? Um, I feel like if I was to sum up the experience of starting a business in one word, it would be a roller coaster. I feel <laughs> like it is an uh, emotional roller coaster starting a business. Um, and I also feel like it is an extremely steep learning curve. I mean, like if you were starting a fashion business, you have this extremely steep learning curve of all the fashion stuff. And then you also have this learning curve that you go on for the business stuff from marketing and social media right through to accounting and legal and everything in between. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like one of the things that you have to get very comfortable with very quickly is making decisions and also standing by the decisions that you make because coming from having only ever worked for somebody else kind of in like a full-time employment situation the idea that I was the boss and at the end of the day it was my kind of final decision on whatever we were doing was both scary but also quite empowering and I think that it's something that you just have to get comfortable with mm -hmm. um and I think in terms of kind of other I don't know learnings or anything else um you know i was very lucky in the sense that I very early in my business journey kind of joined a couple of different female business owner kind of networks and I have to say that the female business owner community especially in the UK um is very supportive and you know women that would be basically your competitors are happy to sit down with you and impart some of their knowledge and wisdom which I think is just such a powerful thing yeah it really is learn learn from the mistakes of people who have already made the mistakes and done it before you yeah it's great yeah. yeah yeah that's so cool and I yeah I totally agree when I started my business it, I had like no idea what I was doing on the business side which was probably a good thing because if I had you know known about all the things I would have to be doing as a business owner I would have been a little bit more intimidated um but yeah, oh, yeah. It's, the, it's, best, I, it's best to go in not knowing to be fair yeah yep it's like you'll figure it you'll figure it out as you go and and learn how to do it and learn about the taxes and the you know legal side and also just like the business yeah just how to run a business and like you said marketing and social media and all that but it, it's so many so many things and I totally hear you on the decision making I, that was one thing where I still, I, I have to consciously focus on, okay, how can I eliminate decisions in other areas of my life or with, or like make the decisions easier that I can so that I, I have the energy and the thought to like make the bigger decisions in my business. Because like you said, no one's like telling you what, what the priorities are, what to do that day when you're your own boss, like you're the one setting the schedule and deciding what's going to happen. Um, exactly and I think um you know I've read somewhere recently that the um you know the secret I suppose of the Steve Jobs of the world is that they as you say eliminated as many like day-to-day -day decisions out of their life you know with to try and like limit decision fatigue so 
Mm -hmm. wearing the same clothes every day eating the same food every day like not doing kind of um not making decisions on those things so that they had more energy to make decisions on other things i would say i probably haven't got, gotten quite to that stage yet but um neither, neither have i especially working in fashion I'm like i don't want to wear the same thing every day yeah exactly exactly <laughs> exactly uh, but i also feel like the other thing that is a big that was a big learning for me and it's something that i kind of now coming into like towards the end of my first year of running the business fully and kind of trade the business trading um is that you will never get it right first time in terms of like, it will never be perfect first time. And there'll be loads of things that, I mean, there are loads of things now that I'm like redoing or tweaking or kind of rethinking when it comes to so many areas of the business that I kind of did the first time round, but I'm now kind of seeing that there was a better way to do it or a more efficient way to do it now. And having kind of had the experience of running the business for kind of eight or nine months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the advantages. I, I feel like it's an advantage of being a small business and being your own boss is that you are able to make those changes and tweaks quickly. Yeah. When Whereas like big companies, there's so much like red tape and, you know, you have to get permission from like your boss's boss's boss to like change anything. It takes so long. Whereas when you run your own business, you're able to kind of, you learn quickly and you can adapt quickly too to that new yes. knowledge yes exactly cool so yeah back to like the sustainable and ethical piece of this so why was that important to you or the brand and like was that one of the values that you started the brand with yes so it was very it's very important to me personally I think that um you know I have been on a real journey with fashion I suppose through my lifetime and now you know want to make more like actively make more sustainable and ethical choices when it comes to the brands that I shop from and for me there was a huge gaping hole when it came to sports bras for bigger busts um you know I think that it's it is something that often when it comes to things like sustainability those niche markets are forgotten about a little bit Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was really important. And I kind of, the thinking was that if it's something that I am looking for in terms of a more sustainable and ethical option when it comes to my sports bras, then there are likely other people that are also looking for that too. Um, and so that was kind of the thinking behind it, I suppose. Um, I can't remember what your other question was. Oh, just, um, was that one of the values that you had from the beginning of your business, which it sounds like it was? Yes, I mean, we kind of, we used to have five values and they've been reworked and now we have four of them. But one thing that has um, always been there is what I have called raw truth, which is basically this idea that we are as transparent as possible. Like, I would never say that we are, an, a, I, don't, I don't really believe that any fashion brand can be 100% sustainable. I mean, mm -hmm. the most sustainable piece of clothing that is available is the one that you don't buy. But at the same time, I think that, you know, you can do better as a business. And I think that, you know, we're always striving to do better. And I feel like our sustainability credentials are pretty good. But by being transparent and honest with our customers, it helps kind of us learn and do more um, and kind of do better on that front. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so true. And I, I, I agree with you there. So what are the other, um, you said you have four kind of, 
main values of the brand, what are those for? We do. So um, we have raw truth, which is all, all around kind of radical transparency and not bullshitting. Sorry, I don't know if I can swear on your podcast. Um, <laughs> our customers, uh, we have be seen, being seen and heard. So this is about creating space for the Fuller Boss community and um, within the fitness industry that often forgets about them. Then we have anti-sexy that's all around um, kind of not desexualizing in the sense of, you know, we're not, we don't use pet names for boobs. We never um, airbrush any of our um, models. We're all, we always use real models. Um, it's always just around kind of standing against the hypersexualization of boobs. And then the final value is sweat and that is a two-part value one it is around the commitment that we're making to our customers that we will never use sweatshops um, and the second part of it is the celebration of the kind of raw power that sweat can bring and the kind of additional benefits that moving your body can have for you both kind of mentally and physically mm-hmm. those are all really cool and kind of like I like how you tied them to almost like your brand's personality and to the product itself where it's not just like okay sustainability like for you for your brand and like it's it's flavored as like the raw truth which goes beyond just the transparency about the sustainable materials um that's really cool yeah I mean I feel I feel like although we I would never say we're 100% sustainable I do feel like it is a con- it is consciously thought about sustainability through everything that we do from our packaging that is 100% plastic free but also as much of, po- of it as possible is both from recycled um kind of fibers and like in terms of like paper and stuff like that um mm-hmm. it's recyclable but the other thing about it is that um it's been designed in such a way that it's also reusable so as much of it as possible can be reused again and um, so this idea that it's kind of extending the lifespan of everything um you know through to the bras themselves that are made from recycled fabric but they're also made in a way where the cut the way that when the fabric is cut for the kind of um the flat lay basically of when they then sew everything together um it's basically cut in economical fashion which means it really minimizes the amount of of fabric waste but also Mm -hmm. all the fabric waste that there is is then collected and reused in future products so we're really trying to kind of minimize our footprint but also make conscious choices to be more positive for the planet um you know and for people as well you know the everything that is made is made in a living wage um factory and it's also female owned and run which I also really enjoy yeah that's really cool so how did you get connected with this factory so the factory connection came through a fashion brand consultant that I worked with who basically had a little black book of contacts um, for various different suppliers and factories and so she was basically the connector between um, me and the the factory itself and then we kind of worked um, independently together me and the factory as things kind of moved on but I feel like 
for me getting the bras made in the UK was really important mainly because it meant that I could go to the factory so I could go to the mm-hmm. factory I could meet the women that were going to be sewing the bras I could kind of go and see them chat to them see the space it kind of it cleared my conscience a bit in terms of making sure that the factory was somewhere that I really believed in in terms of both the quality of the stuff they were producing but also the environment they were creating for people that worked there yeah, that's so nice to have the opportunity to, or you know, make and make it a priority to go see your factory, if at all possible, um, because of all those reasons. And I think it's really insightful too, even from a product designing and like development perspective, just like see how it how the product is made and put together. Um, did you find that as well of kind of being in uh, the factory environment and seeing how it's actually assembled? Was did that kind of change your perspective at all on your design um, after being there? Yeah, and I think it was, I think it it meant that we, I could get feedback directly from the manufacturer. So mm-hmm. the fabric that we use in the bras is quite thick for the coverage and for the support. Um, and so it meant that we could work with the factory to find the best way to sew it and if we needed to change the design or tweak the design to um allow for easier sewing we were able to do that but it was easier it was easier for that to kind of happen because it meant it created a level of agility with the fact that we could do sew tests and stuff at the factory Mm -hmm. yeah that's so such an important part of the process of like really making the product thoughtfully and in making it um really a high quality product is to be able to test the materials and see how it sews, make sure that, you know, factory has all the machinery set up to do it and really troubleshoot any potential, potential issues before you actually get your, you know, production pieces made. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Um, so are there, you know, in talking about sustainability and ethics, um, and, you know, I agree with you, it's like no brand can be 100% uh, sustainable, but are there some things where, like, you already are doing a lot um, in terms of your packaging and your materials and ethical factory, but are there additional things that you would love to do in the future along those lines? So something that I would really love to do, and I'm starting to kind of explore and um look at and it's something that I would really love to see from bigger brands as well is the end of life of a sports bra I mean Mm. um you know a lot of women are not really aware of the lifespan of a sports bra but you know most sports bras will last you a maximum of 10 to 12 months and that's if you're hand washing them and not putting them in the tumble dryer and all those other things um and so it is quite a short-term piece in terms of its lifespan. And at the moment, there aren't that many initiatives available for what happens to it at the end of its lifespan. And so it's something that I really like to be able to incorporate into future pieces from us, um, either working with a charity or working with another organization to um, really work on that end-of-life element. I mean, our sports bras are made from recycled nylon so our regenerated nylon so it is an infinitely recyclable um fiber and that's mm-hmm. going to mix the last day so but at the moment the end of life options are really quite limited and so starting to kind of research and explore that and kind of look at the avenues for that um is something that i would really love to do in the future 
Yeah, that's really exciting and, and cool that you're already kind of brainstorming ways to do that because that is a big a big thing with fashion of like what do you do when it's when you it's like too old to wear it anymore but then like I always feel bad it's like what do I do if there's like a stain or a big hole that I can't mend like I'll mend it if I can but if not it's like I hate to just throw it out but then sometimes it's you know hard to know what is the best way to reuse it in the most sustainable you know easy way to like actually get that back into a use cycle yeah I mean I think it's um I think it's difficult I think especially because the educational piece around what to do with your clothes when they are kind of at the end of their lifespan um it's something that I feel is kind of lacking in general um Mm -hmm. and you know it's something that I would very much like to contribute you know I'm kind of working on a series of um, videos at the moment around ways that you can care for your sports bra better to kind of extend its lifespan um, oh, nice. but you know it's something that again I would really love to see from bigger brands too in terms of um, both what to do with your clothes when they are at the end of their lifespan but also ways that you can really um, kind of extend that lifespan whether it is cutting whatever the piece is, is up and then using it as a patch on something else or kind of amalgamating it with something else or kind of just treating it right to be able to really extend its lifespan in general yeah so true um so I also noticed like on your website that your your brand has been featured in a lot of press especially for uh, a young a newer brand mm-hmm. um, so congratulations on that. Thank you and very I'm, much. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, like, how did you get into those publications? Like, was that something that you reached out and pitched to them? Or, yeah, how did those um, opportunities come about? So, yeah, I would say, like, all pretty much all of the features that we have or have had were just through pitching to journalists. And I think that, you know, bigger boobs and sports bras for bigger boobs are kind of solving a problem for bigger boobs is quite an emotive topic especially mm-hmm. like most of the uh publications that featured the brand the I was speaking to journalists that had bigger boobs they fitted into that kind of fuller bus community and so mm-hmm. I think that in a way being able to speak to them directly as kind of one from one as one bigger boob person to another bigger boob person it meant that you created much more of an emotional connection. And so they really believed in the brand and believed in what we were trying to do, um, which mm-hmm. meant that they were much more kind of open to featuring a younger brand in the publication. Yeah, that's a great point. So it's like the connection with your target market. Um, yeah. Super powerful. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, so that's the main way that we, um, that I've, I got the features was just through reaching out to journalists and pitching um pitching the brand to them and kind of seeing if they were interested or not cool so did you know that these journalists were in your target market before you pitched them now I'm curious no it was just dumb luck it was (laughs) um some of them were kind of through so there's um on Twitter, there's a hashtag that's like a hashtag journal request hashtag, and it's where journalists will put up requests for articles they're doing or like listicles or stuff like that. And so a couple of them were people asking for suggestions of fuller bust sports bra brands. And so 
I obviously mm-hmm. contacted them directly and then sent them a bra and they tested it and then if they liked it they featured it um and then other ones it was just kind of dumb luck that I just started pitching out to them I started to basically look for publications that I thought aligned with my brand values um, Mm and either from a sustainability perspective or a kind of female focus or kind of feminist perspective and really started pitching out to them and then from there it was just kind of dumb luck in terms of who was interested in the brand and kind of wanted to feature it. I mean, it's luck, but you also, it sounds like you were very intentional about kind of doing the research on what type of publications would really be the best fit for who you are as a brand and the values that um, BXM has and what problems it solves. So, I I mean, yes, it might have been a little luck, but you also put in the work to do it too, it sounds like. That's fair. That, that's very fair. I feel like I'm not very good at accepting a compliment and <laughs> appreciating that I have some business business skills when it comes to that sort of thing. But yes, you're probably right. Yeah, yeah. It, you didn't just like pitch every publication possible. You, it sounds like you really chose ones that were a good fit. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> um, so, that's so cool. Um, so what has been, would you say, the biggest challenge in running BXM so far? And it's been a year, did you say? You so the, the business has been trading since May last year, but I feel like oh. I've been working on it for like a year and a half. So it's, it's hard to tell. But okay. um, let's, go, let's go with like eight or nine months in terms of like how long it's been out in the world for other people to like find. Gotcha. Um, and I would say, so I feel like I have kind of had two biggest challenges. One is around like my own confidence about being a business mm-hmm. owner. Like I feel like I was saying to someone recently, like I feel like it's only really been in the last couple of months where I have felt like a business owner in terms of like, I am the boss, I am the one that's in charge, etc. I think that often when you start a business, especially if you're starting a business from with quite limited experience in the area your business is going to be in the imposter syndrome definitely I found was stronger than it would have been if I was starting a business in an area that I was a real expert in you know I probably mm-hmm. would be I am kind of do consider myself an expert now when it comes to boobs and breasts and everything to do with them um, mm-hmm. but you know at the time I definitely when I first was starting out I definitely don't know if I would have considered myself an expert in terms of the knowledge that I had um, And I suppose it is both a challenge, but also a benefit in the sense that I was so willing to learn and kind of get, kind of get more information and more knowledge to really kind of help bolster my confidence. But, you know, I think also having conviction, kind of confidence in my conviction in a way um, was also something that was a challenge when it came to running the business and making decisions and kind of having confidence in what I was building. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think the other challenge, the other kind of big challenge that I've found um, has been around almost like a kind of consumer mindset. You know, I think that a lot of people will probably bulk a bit at the price that the bras are retailing for because um, they are considerably higher than a lot of other sports bra brands. But... Mm-hmm. I wouldn't really say that, I mean, we are 
one of, I think, only two sports bra brand in, brands in the UK that are making sports bras that are ethical and sustainable and also tailored towards a fuller boss market. And so from that perspective, and, you know, we spoke about it a little bit before, is really around the the cost of um getting the bras made i mean it's not like i make a huge profit on them the they are more expensive because they're take they, they are more expensive to make because they're made in a sustainable and ethical way so i think that's been a real challenge in terms of um kind of educating consumers on that as well yeah and i think that's a common challenge of like any brand who's making making their garments sustainably and ethically is that it, it has to be a higher price point and then it's not as accessible to everybody um, because it's a higher higher price um, and and just the education around why is it so much higher than they could maybe get you know at, a, at another site or a shop um, yeah I mean exactly you know I could it would you know in a lot of ways it would actually have been easier for me to create something that was you know, not as sustainable or not as not as ethical and a cheaper price point than it has been to create the the brand and the bras that I have created. But I have real confidence that what I am doing is the when I say the right thing, I don't necessarily mean that, you know, it's kind of more like, you know, there is a gap in the market for it. There are people that want it and you mm-hmm. know a lot of it is about proving the concept to start with and then kind of building from that. And so I have real belief in what I am doing with the brand and the business. And, um, you know, I feel like it is something that is really needed, but, you know, you will often have that voice in your head that's kind of saying, you know, are you, are you on the right path? Are you doing the right thing? Um, and I think it is kind of almost like ignoring that for a bit and having real confidence in what it is that you're building. Yeah. Kind of back to like kind of your first challenge of the imposter syndrome or, lack of confidence it sounds like you're much more confident now in in what your brand has to offer and um what your what your pieces have and so did you did you kind of launch the brand before you had that confidence or did you wait until you were more sure and knew what felt like you knew what you're doing before launching no I think I I think I probably the confidence grew after I launched it like I think that you know when you have a product-based business whether it is fashion or otherwise you often just have to get something to market um Mm -hmm. you know in terms of you if you sit and tweak with it forever you will never it will never be perfect and you'll never actually be able to kind of get it out to kind of prove that there is a need for what it is that you're creating and so Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like I did as much tweaking as I possibly could with the the bras to kind of get them to a point that I was really happy with but there does come a point when you have to just get something to market to kind of start selling and kind of start going with it um because you can become a bit of your own worst enemy when it comes to delaying and delaying and delaying and so Mm um you know I wouldn't have necessarily said that when I launched the brand I was like 100% confident like I believed in what we were doing but you know I didn't really feel like a business owner I felt a bit like I was playing at running a business and you know if it all came crashing down around me then that was okay because you know I could go and do something else and it would kind of you know I had a, I had a career to fall back on if, if you will 
Mm-hmm. But I kind of feel like now, you know, having ran the business and had the business trading for the last eight or nine months, I now am in a position where I have real clarity on where I want the business to go in the future and kind of have more data from our customers and, you know, I'm really kind of tweaking and tinkering with it to make it future proof it for the, for, um, you know, the foreseeable in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and I do feel like that doesn't really come until you actually like the confidence in a way, like if I had waited for the confidence before I launched the business, I don't even know if I actually would have ever would have launched it. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. And I um, hope this makes you feel better about like you, you mentioned uh, imposter syndrome about going into a business that you didn't feel like an expert in. Yeah. Um, I still had imposter syndrome starting my business in a field that I had when working full time in prior to starting a business. So um, it's, it's, you know, I'm sure it was a little bit more intimidating going into a different field, but it's still there. I think it's just like new business owner. You don't know what you're doing and it, it takes the like launching anyway, like getting it good enough, launching anyway, getting the feedback and like kind of getting your out of your own head. Like once you're getting receiving feedback from your customers or in my case, clients, um, you're you have information to either continue doing what you're doing or tweak things and make it better that isn't just like your own being stuck in your own head like you're getting outside feedback that you can then make those decisions on and have a little bit more clarity and confidence in what you're doing based on that yeah I completely agree I mean I I I do think it is so true that the scariest thing about starting a business is actually just starting it Mm mm-hmm and kind of taking the leap because if you wait until you feel ready you will probably never feel ready Mm -hmm. and I think like we were kind of talking about before the thing with a small business is you can always pivot and change it later you know it's very rare that the the thing that you launch with will be the thing that is your kind of hero product in two or three years time like it may be a variation of what you launched with but it will it's very unlikely to be exactly the same because you will have tweaked it and kind of honed it honed it into something that you're really proud of and you're really happy with and kind of develop it as you go and based on all the different feedback but you know it is a bit like you can't see the wood for the trees in a way when you first launch and until you kind of get that external feedback and kind of almost get validation with it as well you know I think that there's nothing like when you launch and you get that first order in that is a stranger that has seen your product and your brand and thought yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna buy that I'm gonna support them and put my money behind it and it is just such a rush I mean I still get it now when people um order from us and you know it is just this further validation that you're on the right track and you know what you're doing yeah definitely yep I totally agree um well this has been so fun Lizzie to get to know your story and background a little bit more and hear about everything you're doing for the fuller bust women uh, with bxm um where can people find out more about the brand online if they want to check it out So our website is www.iambxm.com and we are on both Facebook and Instagram and the handle there is iamb.x.m. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast. I have really, really enjoyed it and I'm really honoured to be invited. So thank you.
Oh yeah, of course. And thank you so much for doing this today. It's been great. No problem. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you would like more episodes and resources like this about growing a fashion business that fits your customer, lifestyle, and values, send straight to your inbox. You can sign up for my email list at alisonhainis.com newsletter. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-H-O-E-N-E-S dot com slash newsletter. Again, thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join me for the next episode of How Fitting.